Welcome to the Palace Perspective, podcast that brings you conversations and professional analysis on the topics and trends affecting your everyday financial life. The Palace Perspective is brought to you by Palace Capital Advisors, a comprehensive wealth management firm with locations in the Northeast, specializing in financial and estate planning solutions, investment management strategies, and family office services for high net worth families across the country. Welcome to the Palace Perspective, the podcast that brings you conversations and professional analysis on the topics and trends affecting your everyday financial life. I'm your host, James Landry, and I'm glad you chose to listen in today. Today, we're going to talk about gifting to charity, yes, even in 2022. And joining me today for the first time is a special guest, Eric Lalim, CFP, who is Managing Director of the Palace Capital Advisors in office in Park Ridge, New Jersey. Eric, welcome to the Palace Perspective. Thanks for having me. Glad you're here, Eric. And so for those listeners who've never met you, and I would imagine it would be every listener because this is the first time you're on the podcast, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Sure. I am uh, recently have joined Palace Capital in the past year. Prior to that, I was with a prominent wirehouse. I am originally from Rhode Island, so good to be back in New England, uh, now living in New Jersey for a couple decades. All right. Well, we're glad you're up here too, and hope you get to enjoy some of the uh, changing colors while you're up here with us. Eric, you know, this topic for many folks, uh, making charitable gifts in 2022 can be maybe more challenging than it has been in recent memory, wouldn't you say? I, I would say so, right? So in times of volatility, I think we go to Maslow's and at that point start to think about charity coming last, right? We just published a, a newsletter about this topic last weekend. And when we wrote the newsletter, I think it was a week ago, the S&P 500 year-to-date was down nearly in 19%. I think there's been a little bit of a comeback here in the last couple of days. We'll see if that's sustainable. But with the market being down so severely over the last, let's see here, nine, 10 months now, uh, it's been challenging for folks to think about, you know, hey, I've got money uh, that I don't need, and what about giving to charity? But charities still need money. As a matter of fact, as we look at some of the the recent statistics, um, you think about a bull market, right? 2021, uh, total gifts to charity was $485 billion. That's billion with a B, right? That amount was about 4% higher than the prior year in 2020. But when you adjust it for inflation, it actually was slightly lower than the prior year. And so you can only imagine with markets being so severely correcting, uh, as they've done in 2022 thus far, you got to believe that charitable giving in 2022 is going to be quite a bit off what it was in 2021. But charities still need the giving, but and many people have different motivations for giving to charity, right? I think first and foremost, it's they're philanthropic. They want to see the community benefit. They want to see their people that have share like faith, people that share like you know objectives for the community at large. They want to see those people profit and benefit from their giving. And they want to see it while they're alive, too. So, I mean, there are all kinds of ways you can give to charity. And most often you'll see people doing that while they're alive, not waiting until they're no longer with us and doing it on a testamentary basis. And we'll primarily talk about giving during lifetime today. But I said philanthropic needs. What's the other reason people might give to charity besides just pure philanthropy? Well, we do live in a capitalist society and taxes uh, can be a motivator. Yeah. So what do you mean by that? You know, uh, positioning gifts uh, as a means to reduce or, or eliminate certain taxes. 
Okay, so the IRS giveth and taketh, right? Mostly taketh, I think, but uh, and sometimes they do give and they do allow people to deduct in general gifts to public charities off of their income tax returns. So we'll talk about different ways today that people can take advantage of what the tax law does provide. Uh, there was recent uh, in the news, uh, I don't know if you saw this, it was in the Wall Street Journal, several publications mentioned that the founder of Patagonia, the uh, outdoor apparel company, made the decision, his name's Yvonne Shuniard, I believe that's how you pronounce that, made the decision that he was going to give away his company, the shares of stock in his company, to a couple charities, uh, or actually to one primary charity, and it was something called the Holdfast Collective. This is a nonprofit organization. When you think about nonprofit organizations, most often you hear that uh, referred to with a tax code called a 501c3 organization. That's the section of the code that deals with nonprofits. The Holdfast Collective was not a 501c3. It was a 501c4. So what is the, what's the difference there? Well, that's a type of nonprofit that allows you to make unlimited political donations. Ah, okay. So 501c4 allows you to make unlimited donations uh, from, the, from the nonprofit to political organizations. So with that, the wrinkle there is there is no income tax deduction when you make a gift to a 501c4 organization like Holdfast Collective. So this is a fella. Obviously, he's a billionaire, right? So he's not hurting. Uh, but made the decision to gift to a cause that he felt like it was important, and he's not getting an immediate income tax benefit from it. There mm -hmm. are, however, back-end tax benefits that he may realize. For example, if the company Patagonia is ever sold, right, that would be a significant capital gain tax to whoever owns the company. But in this case, it's a not-for-profit that owns the majority of the shares here, so that capital gains tax will be avoided uh, by him. Uh, that he would have had to incur if he had otherwise just owned the stock. And also, the Holdfast Collective has indicated that they plan to donate towards, you know, political organizations that will support causes to sustain the environment, which obviously the founder of an outdoor apparel company like Patagonia holds very close and dear to his heart. So that was an interesting um, bit of news that it ties in very closely to our topic today about charitable giving. But let's just talk about ways that people can give short of, in addition to giving privately held stock like he did. Right. What are, what's the most basic form of a charitable donation? Cash. Cash yeah. is uh, the simplest and most common way to, to benefit a charity. Okay. So uh, I put cash in the you know Red Cross. I make a check to my church or synagogue. I give uh, cash to my son. Is that the same thing or no? No. Okay. <laughs> Even though I may think he's a charitable cause, uh, I'm not going to get a uh, charitable deduction for that. But giving cash. So mm -hmm. right now... Is there any limitation in terms of how much of a deduction I can take for uh, gifts of cash? So if I give $100, how much of that am I, can I write off? Well, part of that has to do with the standard deduction. So in 2022, for single taxpayers, the standard deduction is $12,950. Oh. For married taxpayers, that's $25,900. So the sum of charitable contributions and other deductible items, whether it's property tax, state income tax, mortgage interest, that would need to exceed the standard deduction available before the gift of charity would yield any tax break to the donor. Okay, so for most taxpayers then, just gifting small amounts of cash to charity, we're not going to see any income tax benefit from that type of a small cash donation. No, that's from yeah. the heart. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not trying to downplay the philanthropic aspect of it. That's, that's critical, of course. 
But um, so in order to, to kind of maybe clarify what you said, in order to see an income tax benefit, I would have to itemize my deductions. In order to itemize my deductions, I have to have enough deductions if I'm a married taxpayer to exceed the standard deduction, which is nearly $26,000. Right. right. And then there's also a limit to this, right? So in yeah. 2022, any income deductions for these itemized cash donations, they'll be limited to 60% uh, 60 of the taxpayer's adjusted gross income or AGI. Okay. So uh, it's not going to be a dollar for dollar write-off unless I have enough income to support the dollar for dollar write-off and I've exceeded my itemized, uh, the standard deduction and, and begin to itemize. That's correct. Okay. That makes sense. So cash donations going to be typically on the smaller side, typically, not always, but typically on the smaller side. I know for many taxpayers that will give pretty regularly to a church or a synagogue, those are deductions can accumulate over the year and they may have at the end of the year enough to exceed the uh, standard deduction. So, so Eric, let's talk a little bit about perhaps beyond cash, you know, gifting um, appreciated securities. Maybe it's stocks, bonds, mutual funds, any type of investment. Why would someone consider using an appreciated security uh, to gift as opposed to cash? And maybe put it this a different way for you. If I want to gift $10,000 to charity and I've got a $10,000 appreciated security or I've got $10,000 of cash, what might make more sense to me? Donating uh, stocks, bonds, mutual funds is, is nearly as easy as donating cash with the added benefit that you are gifting away the entirety of that amount. So sort of like uh, creating a discounting mechanism for the gift that you're actually giving, right? So uh, you put $10,000 in, the stock appreciated to $20,000, you make the appreciated gift, you don't pay any taxes, and the charity benefits from the full $20,000. Mm -hmm. And when they liquidate that and use the proceeds, they're, they're not going to be taxed. Okay, yeah. So it's a, if I had kept the stock, sold it, I'd have to pay capital gains tax on the $10,000 of appreciation, and I would have less than to gift to charity. That is correct. Okay. Now, there are some differences in terms of the amount I can deduct, right? It's a, it's not 60% here for appreciated stock, or appreciated securities or appreciated investments. I believe it's 30%. Is that correct? That is correct. All right. So there's that factor, right? And then again, once again, I, I have to make sure I'm still exceeding my standard deduction, which is nearly $26,000 for a married couple in 2022. So you have to look at that and say, am I going to get any benefit? Do I have enough to give before I start, can start itemizing and, and see an income tax deduction? And that's right. And, and listen, it doesn't all have to be done this year, which opens the door to a conversation about bunching donations. Oh, yeah. And I do remember this This really came about in, in 2017 under the Tax Cuts and Jobs, Jobs Act. That was uh, President Trump at the time and really took that standard deduction, if I recall, and I almost doubled it in 2017. So for probably 90% of the taxpayers out there, they weren't going to itemize now because the standard deduction was so high. So in order to get uh, take advantage of, of charitable deductions on an itemization basis, you might want to bunch deductions. So what is that exactly? So take, for example, a, a married couple and they typically gift uh, $15,000 or donate $15,000 per year. If we take into consideration state and local taxes being capped at $10,000 per return and $10,000 of donations, that'll come in less than the $25,900 that you just mentioned as joint mm -hmm. filer. Uh, so that means there's no additional tax break that's related to their charitable donation in 2022. However, the couple could decide that they can afford to shift the donation so that they give $20,000 one year and five the next. So the result is they'll have a total of $30,000 in a Schedule A deduction every other year, 
Itemizing for those years will yield a larger charitable tax break, and they'll deduct more than $25,900 in other years due to the standard deduction. Got it. Okay. And, and so that makes a, a ton of sense. It's just if I can afford to bunch my deductions, gift more this year, now I can get into itemization. I can write off more of my income that way. And I know that a lot of folks will combine the bunching of deductions with another very popular gifting strategy or, or receptacle, I should say, called our Donor Advised Fund. We'll talk about what that is in, in just a few moments. But So the Donor Advised Fund really goes hand in hand with that bunching deductions. For small business owners that may be thinking of um, exiting the business and they're thinking of making some type of philanthropic impact, you don't see a lot of these, uh, but there is the ability to gift privately held stock to charity. And generally speaking, I think that where I've seen this happen in the past, that it has had a major tax motivation in doing something like this, avoiding a large capital gain tax upon the liquidation or sale of the company. Um, but what are some considerations for a business owner? Can you, first of all, can you do this? Can you can you gift a C corp or an S corp to to charity? It is uh, possible to deduct the the full fair market value of privately held stock if the recipient organization is a public charity. So tactically, the answer depends on whether the charity is able to accept private stock as a gift. Not all can. Yeah, not many that I've encountered are really interested in that. But. Mm-hmm. I know that for some larger donor advised funds, there might be an appetite for that, but typically the smaller charities are not wanting the hassle and you know they're gonna have to call their own tax counsel. I know for the fact that when you're gifting S corporation stock, you have to be really careful because there are certain rules around who can actually own an S corporation stock before you blow up the S selection. Then also S corporation stock can result in you know, nasty things called you know, unrelated business income tax that the, the charity itself would be liable for. That's so, right. you know, all kinds of, you know, limitations and, and concerns when you're talking about privately held stocks. So I don't want to dwell anymore with that, but I know that it is possible. And so I guess what we would tell a business owner in that case is, hey, look, if this is something you're interested in, let's let's talk about it. Make sure you're talking to professionals, not only in the on the charitable side, but also on the tax side that can make sure you don't trip any uh, wires that you would otherwise want to avoid. So we did mention donor advised funds. Let's talk a little bit about that. These are being very, very popular. What is a donor advised fund and why are they so popular? So a, a donor advised fund is a charitable investment account that provides simple, flexible, and efficient ways to manage uh, charitable giving. The money go, that goes into a, a donor advised fund becomes an irrevocable transfer to a public charity with the specific intent of funding charitable gifts. Okay, so the donor advised fund itself is a 501c3 organization. It's that is a public correct. charity. Okay. All right, so you just said money goes into their, when you say irrevocable, it's because you're making a gift to charity. You're not going to call up the charity and say, hey, guys, you know, I didn't mean to do that. Can you send the money back? No, it's, it's a completed gift. That's correct. Okay. So it goes into the donor advised fund. What does the donor advised fund do with it? So the donor advised fund allows the uh, donor to direct grants. So um, in a single year, you can produce the gift or, or submit the gift and get the tax benefit, but then take multiple years uh, to distribute the funds to oh, okay. charities of your choosing. So there's the bunching right there, right? And in a single year, you bunch your deductions, you make a gift to the donor advised fund at charity, you get the write-off, you're now in itemizing, right? Mm-hmm. So you get the advantage of the taxes, but then... The advice section is what you just mentioned is where the donor can call up the donor advice funds and say, hey, I'd like you to make a, a distribution to the Boys and Girls Club or whatever of, of, of Boston, right? 
in any given year in different amounts. So you still control the timing that that ultimate charity receives the gift, but you get the impact or the upfront benefit of the bunching of the deductions. That's right. And a lot of these donor advised funds have uh, web portals where the, uh, the donor can go in, uh, look through um, a list of uh, available charities and filter them, uh, look for the particular charity that they're uh, interested in, in donating to, or thematically think about areas of the world that they want to commit to. Mm -hmm. And these funds produce a filter that allows them to find those charities. And the donor advice fund, it doesn't nec- what's not going out to the ultimate charity is not s- sitting necessarily in cash when it can, right? But it can be invested, right? That's um, and and the, the, the donor advised fund itself manages that investment policy and manages it to that investment policy. But the, the client can still see those funds grow, which hopefully they do, which means ultimately more for the charity. But the actual deduction is based on the value of what you put in the, at the point you make the donation to the donor advised fund, not to some future value, correct? That's correct. Okay. All right. So I can see why those would be popular. Are those expensive to administer? No, no. They're actually quite efficient. Okay. So as opposed to maybe, and we'll talk about this in a few minutes, a private foundation, which is similar in at least concept of whereas I've got a, an entity, a 501c3 entity, I make a gift to it, but a private foundation could be much more expensive, I would imagine, than a donor advice fund. Yeah, both from uh, management, legal, maintaining tax regulations and everything that goes along with it. It certainly can be. Yeah. So we've talked about cash. We've talked about gifts of donated uh, or appreciated um, securities, such as stocks, bonds, mutual funds. We've talked about gifting these things into, you know, straight to charity or using a donor advice fund. What about using another vehicle that I know many of our listeners will be familiar with, and that's called an individual retirement account or IRA. Can we marry the donation to charity with the fact that an IRA has funds and finds some way to avoid taxes in the process. What would be your thoughts there? For some individuals, using your IRA to donate directly to charity makes sense. The rub is you need to be age 70 and a half Got it. Uh, as a minimum. And you can do up to $100,000 a year directly to one or more charities. So my wife and I together, I'm not 70 and a half. He probably fooled you. But if we're 70 and a half, hypothetically speaking, we could do 200000 Yes. Okay. So, so the I in IRA is for individuals. So you would have that ability to go up to that. So the, the final added benefit to mm-hmm. using the IRA is that these donations can count towards their annual required minimum distributions. Now, those don't start until age 72. Okay. However, it is a, uh, a wonderful benefit. It used to be they were also 70 and a half. I think they, they changed that law. The Secure, Secure Act. Act. Yes. Yeah, okay, that's right. We'll talk about that. So, all right. Now, I get this question a lot. We just talked about donor advised funds. Very popular. I know we have several of our clients that use qualified charitable distributions from their IRAs. Can we take a qualified charitable distribution and send it to a donor advised fund? I I get this question a lot. Unfortunately, you may not. So QCDs may not be made to a donor advised fund. Also, a QCD must be performed before RMDs are taken. You cannot undo the RMD otherwise. Uh, Okay. So if I take an RMD and then decide, hey, later, I would have been smarter to to do a qualified charitable distribution too late. Okay. Well, that's that's, uh, great. And as as I said, we have a lot of folks that will do qualified charitable distributions. The reason is, is because if you think about it, Eric, if I have an IRA, let's say it's it's got $100,000 in it, and I take $10,000 out that I plan to give to charity, that's $10,000 that I receive that I report income tax on. That's income to me. 
So let's just say I, I'm in a 30% bracket. I'm going to pay $3,000 of tax. That gives me $7,000 left over to give to charity. Conversely, if I take the qualified charitable distribution and move that directly from the IRA to charity, I never recognize the income tax at all or the income at all. That's why that QCD makes more sense if you really want to use the IRA for charitable purposes. You probably said all that, didn't you? And I'm just repeating it. In a way. Okay. All right. Sorry. I have that, uh, that quality. All right. Let's talk about something a little more complicated and perhaps not as you know, readily available to many people, but certainly to some. And that's the, the idea of using an instrument known as a trust for my charitable giving. And when I think of a trust, obviously, you know, there are all kinds of trusts out there. There's revocable trusts, living trusts, testamentary trusts, irrevocable trusts. And now we get to this thing of, well, there's a charitable trust. And then within the charitable trust world, there's charitable remainder trusts and charitable lead trusts. And then within those charitable remainder and charitable lead trusts, there are all kinds of different variations. But I want to keep it as simple as possible for anyone that's listening today to the podcast. Why would someone make a gift to a charitable trust in most cases? Well, using a charitable trust creates a split interest. Uh, meaning that you benefit both the charity and named beneficiaries. Ah, so there's there's the answer right there is you've got two separate sets of beneficiary, two distinct beneficiaries. One obviously is the charity, otherwise you couldn't call it a charitable trust. The other one typically is, you know, in the donor's family in most cases. It could be the donor himself or herself. So that's why you use a trust. Would there still be an income tax benefit if I have a split interest trust? if I make a gift to this split interest trust? Yeah, so that's a good option for individuals who want an immediate charitable deduction and then need an income stream during their lifetime. So when I sit with clients, especially if there's a liquidity event or we're looking at uh, estate planning and wealth transfer, you know, I, I break it down and make it very simple. There's only four ways in life money leaves us. We spend it, we give it to our family, we give it to a charity, then I generally draw a line on a piece of paper or the government takes it. So what we want to do is focus on those four buckets. Um, we know how to spend our own money. We know what we're capable of, what we want. But when we start to think about doing things for beneficiaries, family, friends, and charities, we want to be able to take advantage of more advanced techniques. And this certainly would be in that category of advanced uh, strategies. I know that, you know, you mentioned um, the, a, per, a certain type of trust, a charitable remainder trust. Just from a conceptual standpoint, when you hear the word remainder, that sounds like something that's left over. And so that would be that whatever is remaining at the end of a certain event or a certain time period would go to charity. So we have uh, many times talked to clients, talked to individuals that have stocks that have appreciated significantly. And then they may have one stock that's appreciated more than another, and they may have a concentrated position of that stock. And they are concerned about the appreciation of that stock. They're concerned that they could lose that appreciation if the market were to correct, like we've seen in 2022. But they're reluctant to diversify or sell out of that stock because of the tax bite in doing something like that. So enter the charitable remainder trust. What we've seen people do is gift that concentrated stock to a charitable remainder trust. The charitable remainder trust is a tax exempt entity. So that charitable remainder trust can sell that stock, which means there is no capital gain to the trust upon the sale. 
And now this is where the split interest part comes into play. That Chatterbird Remainder Trust has to make payments back to the donor or to the donor's family for a term of years, most usually, or over the lifetime of the donor. And those payments are set up at the beginning of the trust, so you know what those payments are going to be generally. They're going to be a percentage of the value of the trust, or they're going to be a fixed payment for the life of that period. And then whatever's left over at the end of that payment period goes to charity. So if you think about this, Eric, let me ask you a question. If I give you an asset, let's say you're a charity, and I say, well, you, you have really 15 or 20 years before you can uh, really receive this asset, do you think the IRS is going to give me the same income tax deduction that they would give me if I gave it directly to charities and no strings attached? No. No. So it does, you're right. So it does impact the ability to take a deduction or the level of deduction that you would take. And that's all I really want to speak to or we should speak to with charitable remainder trust other than to advise our listeners, hey, if you want to know more about charitable trusts, split interest trusts, whether it's remainder trusts or lead trusts, these can be fantastic tools to employ not only estate planning, but as you mentioned, philanthropy, as you mentioned, income tax planning, and certainly diversification of a portfolio. All these strategies can be used in combination in one trust to, to bring real benefits to the charity, right? To the entity we really are concerned about, and also to the donor and his or her family. Well, we should talk about private foundations. Where do, where do you see those being used? A private foundation is a, a tax-exempt organization. Uh, it creates a a fund and is controlled for primary purpose of making grants to charities and or individuals. It's very common with specific families who have members of that family who want to be very active in charitable giving and philanthropic. It is more complicated. It is more expensive. You do, it does require legal work, ongoing accounting and audit work, but the vehicle for that philanthropic uh, can be multi-generational. And I would imagine with a private family foundation, there would be more control that that family would have over, over the assets in the foundation and certainly the charities than you would have in a donor advised fund, which is generally a third party, you know, non-related entity. Yeah. And, and of course there's tax restrictions with that. You know, the amount that can be contributed is 30% of the donor's AGI. They do after the first year of existence, uh, they are required by law to give away at least 5% of the value of the assets annually. So, okay. And going back to the 30%, you mean that the amount of the deduction I can take is limited to 30% of my AGI, right? I can That's give correct. my entire state away if I really want to, not that I want to, but I could, if I wanted to. Yes. Yeah. Private foundations. What you're saying is you're seeing these more with the, you know, ultra high net worth space. My, my experience, I don't know about yours is, you know, unless you are talking about a million to two to three or million or more, Donor advice fund may be much more economical for that that donor. Absolutely, private foundations, you know, start to make sense with scale. Okay, great. And I imagine there's all kinds of types of private foundations, participating, non-participating. I think they can be set up as either corporations or trusts. So a lot to uncover in the world of private foundations. But I think what you mentioned is is probably sufficient. Is unless you've got a pile of dough to put into charity, and I'm talking about a million or more, the donor advised fund might be much more uh, interesting to you. Absolutely. You know, at the bottom line, a, a private foundation is a, a family or an individual's way of specifically expressing their values yeah. through philanthropic giving. Eric, I want to talk about, we'll close here in just a second, talk about artwork, because we get this every so often, 
you know, our work's a little bit different than your normal. It's not cash. It's not, you know, appreciated securities, but I get this question, Hey, can I donate artwork to a charity, but then just keep the art in my home for the rest of my life? So tell me, what are some things that people should be thinking about when they're, they're thinking about gifting valuable artwork? Well, you have to determine value, right? And that can be very subjective. Yeah, yeah. Which makes it difficult. Probably a third party to do that, not myself, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It can be opaque. It can be challenged. So I, I just think in, in terms of the efficiency, it's not necessarily the best way to go uh, it, to express that. But if, if artwork is something that they do want to give, qualified professionals are required. Mm-hmm. So in addition, Eric, to um, the need to get a qualified appraiser on the artwork to establish fair market value, which is very important. The word qualified means someone that actually does this for a living is important and it's not, cannot be the donor himself. Um, it's also uh, what I understand, important to understand, what does the charity intend to do with the artwork? So for example, if I were to give a piece of art to a charity, say it's the Salvation Army, and they decide to sell the artwork because they want cash to use for whatever their objectives are. Um, that's one deduction, but a higher deduction might be available to me if I give it to a museum where the museum intends to preserve the artwork and display it and use it for what the artist intended it to be used for. And so that's another deduction. So how the charity depends or plans to utilize the piece of art is also very important to understand for purposes of establishing what type of tax benefit I might give to the artwork. So all this to say is it's an area that's very, you know, sort of niche in the area of charitable giving. And you want to make sure you're talking to people that know how to value what you're talking about in terms of an appraiser, but also understand the rules and, and allow the donor to take advantage of what the tax law allows him or her to take advantage of. What are some, you know, I guess as we've talked about a lot of things, cash, appreciated securities, donor advised funds, qualified charitable distributions, artwork, private foundations, a lot. But what would you say is really important for anyone that's considering making a donation to charity to remember at the end of the day? Well, first, make sure it's a qualified charity. We've had clients approach us in the past and they find a organization they'd like to give to and they're simply not a qualified charity. So make sure they do their research there. Donors also can't deduct the portion of the contribution that provides a benefit to them. Right? So like if I give a donation to a university and I get a season tickets to the football games, it's not going to be a, the same donation, right? No. All right. No. Unfortunate. Yeah. And, and then, of course, you know, uh, block and tackle. They want to make sure to retain proper substantiation of your charitable contributions. So to claim a charitable contribution for any uh, charitable deduction for any contribution of cash, a check, or monetary gift, you, you need to maintain that record of, of the contribution. You know, whether it's... And it has to be current. To, sorry to interrupt you. It has to be current to it. I know the IRS has aggressively audited this. If you have significant charitable contributions on your 1040 and they come to audit you, they will ask for the records, concurrent records saying, hey, you know, we've received this gift. There's nothing of value given to you in exchange. The gift is valued at, you know, fill in the blank. They're going to look for that. If you don't have that, they're going to deny the deduction and it will be, you know, can be an expensive audit. Absolutely. So you want to make sure you have a bank record or a letter of receipt from the organization, from the charity, showing the name of the charity, the date of the contribution, the amount of the contribution. Well, that will do it for this round. And listeners can read more about this topic in the Palace Capital Advisors September 2022 planning newsletter. 
And what that can be found on our website at palacecapitaladvisors.com. That's P-A-L-L-A-S capitaladvisors.com. Eric, thanks again so much for sharing some of your insights with us today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And I do look forward to having you back again soon. You know, as listeners, as always, if you would like to discuss your financial planning, reach out to us through our website, palacecapitaladvisors.com. Of course, everything on this podcast we, we discussed today is meant to be general in nature and, and not specific uh, to your personal situation and not could be construed as, a, as specific advice. But we would, again, be delighted to discuss how this important topic could potentially impact you and your financial and charitable objectives. To all of our listeners, we wish you the very best. We look forward to connecting to you next time on the Palace Perspectives podcast. Palace Capital Advisors, LLC, and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You should consult a legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances. These materials are provided for general informational and educational purposes based on publicly available information from sources believed to be reliable. PCA cannot assure the accuracy or completeness of these materials. The information in these materials may change at any time and without notice. The information contained herein is for informational purposes only, is not personalized investment advice, and should not be construed as a recommendation to purchase or sell any particular security, sector, or strategy to any individual person or entity. Investment advice is offered through Palace Capital Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor.